Man, I'm excited about coming to you tonight and sharing just a thought that's on my heart. I was reading recently in the book of Genesis and uh, going through a reading plan. It started out in the book of Genesis and I reading the first uh, eight chapters this week and the Lord really did a work in my heart as I was going through that. And I want to just give to you tonight some thoughts that came out of that reading that I feel like challenged me and I hope and pray that they'll challenge you tonight. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever stopped to think about what it would be like to live in a perfect world? Man, wouldn't that be nice? No trouble, no worry, no fear, right? No sickness. I mean, that perfect world, you know, you get that mentality and, you know, you think, man, I, man, Chris, I'd love to have that perfect world. But if you're not careful, if you don't read your Bible carefully, you might be a little over-fantasizing what a perfect world might be like. Now, don't get me wrong, certainly Genesis chapter 1 and 2, beautiful world that God created. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve were totally innocent. I mean, you know, no sickness, no pain. But yet, it's important that we take a minute here from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and try to get a real clear picture of what the pre-fallen world was. Because sometimes we have a presupposition that we bring to the discussion, that we get in our minds that the pre-fallen world was a place of just, you know, total, uh, don't have to do anything, uh, no obligations, you know, nothing that God expected, and it was just, you know, Adam and Eve hanging out and just, you know, watching Netflix and, and enjoying their life, and that's just not reality at all. In fact, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you understand that, you know, the, the pre-fallen world was good, just like God said it was, and He spoke it into existence, and He said it was, that it was good. But you've got to realize that when sin came along the way, Genesis chapter 3, it totally destroyed the world the way, the way, we, the way God intended it. And now what we have, some six, 7,000 years later, is the product of thousands of years of fallen nature, of fallenness, of sinfulness, of brokenness. And that's put us to the place we're at. And in fact, this, this fall this has passed to all of us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all of us have sinned. And so the reality is, is even in my thinking, right, it's not just the creation is broken and fallen. It's that I, I as the prize creation, the one who God breathed the breath of life and became a living soul, that sin that, that, that destroyed and marred the image of God upon Adam has been passed down to me. And certainly if you're listening to me tonight, it's been passed down to you as well. Sin's been felt by all of us. Even our very understanding of life has been clouded by sin. And the way God wanted life to be, the way God intended this world to be, has been totally wrecked and ruined by sin. So I'm going to ask you some questions. What was present? at the garden pre-fall. What was life like in, a, in the perfect creation environment? What did God desire for us in a perfect world? See, I think if we go back to the beginning, Genesis, and we look at what God did and how He did it and what He expected 
from Adam and Eve and what he wanted from Adam and Eve, I think we can uncover for ourselves what the will of God is for us and take some of these principles that I believe God, these components that God puts in place uh, for us in the garden and put them into our own lives and I think we can draw closer to our, our maker, the one who created everything. And so I want to give you this thought, three components tonight about garden living. Three components about garden living. The first thing, when you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, I think the first thing that jumps out, when you get beyond, and God said, and God said, and God said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And you get over there and you get, get to the, towards the end of Genesis chapter 1, I think the first component that jumps out is the relationship. The relationship. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26 in your Bible. Let's look at what God said. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, what did he do? God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So man is being brought into existence. And then it says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, next chapter over, it says in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his life, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. You know, we're made in the image of God. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us special. That's what makes life valuable, we get it from our Creator. And when we wreck and ruin that foundation as a culture, we don't know who we are, we don't know what we're here for, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, and therefore we begin to do and behave in ways that are ungodly. They're totally against the Creator and the Maker of our souls. And God geared us inside of this creation when He made us. He geared us because He wants us to enjoy a relationship with Him. Man, that's what this was about. He brings Adam into existence and he finds time there in Genesis chapter 3. He was coming to Adam and Eve after they had sinned to walk with them in the cool of the day. He's coming to them to enjoy that relationship. A relationship gives with it the idea of interaction. You know, the idea of connection and love. That's what God wanted and it's not that we wanted that, it's that God wanted that with us. And God made Adam and Eve, and He made them in a way that He could relate with them. See, God had made a lot of things that, that, that had life, but yet this creation was a relational creation. It was one of connection and fellowship and love. And who desired the relationship first? Who made the relationship possible when we messed it up? I mean, God wanted it first, and when we messed it up, God sends Jesus, right, to correct that which Adam and Eve had messed up. And so garden living tonight, church, is, was to be focused on the relationship, which is why Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. Right? I, I quoted to you Romans 5.12 that death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, right? Right? Uh, uh, 
Wherefore, by one man sent into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Well, also, let's not stop there. Romans 5.19 says, it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. That's us. So by the obedience of one, capital O there, shall many be made righteous. And so God is looking to restore what He originally intended. He intended for us to have a relationship with Him and to us have a relationship with each other that's healthy, that's holy, right? That's what God wanted, one of connection, one of fellowship, one of love. And now that sin has come in, it's frustrated this relationship, it's ruined this relationship, and it gets involved in all the other ones, the bitterness, you know, the envy, the covetousness, these things begin to creep in and put pressure and jealousy on all of our human relationships. And so I ask you tonight this question, are you currently enjoying your relationship with God? Is there distance between you and God? Have you lost some connection? Have you lost some fellowship? So that's number one, we've got to talk about the relationship. Number two, the second component of garden living, and I'm going quickly here, but I'm just hitting some high points. The second component of garden living is responsibility. Responsibility. Look at, look at Genesis 2.15. Look at what the Bible says here, because again, I want us to go to the Scriptures and get a clear picture of what God desired. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Let's go back and read that verse again, and let's think about it from the area of responsibility. And God blessed them, right? To whom much is given, much is required, Jesus said. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. Right? That's a lot of responsibility. Fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. And have dominion, authority, over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now again, I think we come with a very, very, very bad presupposition about life in the garden. We get this mentality that garden living was an eternal vacation where Adam and Eve sat in their launch launch chairs outside and sipped their sweet tea while birds flew grapes to them. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible said in Genesis 2.15 that we, that God, took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. There was a responsibility to dress and keep the garden. They were responsible to subdue and exercise dominion over the creation. Adam even named the animals Genesis 2.20, so he was involved in that task. Adam and Eve in the garden had responsibility. God never desired us to be without responsibility in work. Man, we are made, we are geared for relationship, we are geared for responsibility. That's part of our existence. From the very beginning it was that way. In garden living, work was joyous. (laughs) Work was fulfilling. Work was worship. It gave the opportunity when they exercised responsibility to worship their Creator, to further enjoy their Creator, and to foster greater relationship with God. Now, man, I want you to hear me tonight. 
This is very, very important. And so when we don't take that responsibility that we have to work, right? We don't take that seriously or we get this mentality that, well, you know, I, I need more, I need vacation after vacation after vacation. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against vacation. I'm going to talk about it in a minute, so just hold tight. But there is this rhythm that God has put into us that has geared us that we want to work. And when we lose the value of work in our society, and boy, are we headed there, aren't we? When we lose the value of work, we begin to fall apart. I mean, we would be wise to look to our to, to, to the not-too-distant past, to the Roman Empire, and learn some lessons. You can't play all the time. That's not healthy. It's not healthy for you personally. It's not healthy for us as a people. It's not healthy for us as a nation. I mean, God has wired us for responsibility. And the misuse of responsibility, stay with me now, that God, has give, that God gave them is what led to the fall. They're to dress and to keep it. And God says specifically in verse 17, as He's telling them about dressing and keeping it, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. There's responsibility. Dress it all, keep it all, don't eat that fruit though. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What did the curse do the responsibility? Let's, let, let's, let's, let's just bring this all together. Right, Genesis chapter 3, now childbearing is going to be difficult and very painful. Right, they're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Now childbearing becomes very difficult for the woman. Right, fellas, we're supposed to get out there and we're supposed to go to work and dress and keep the garden. Now that's going to be difficult. In fact, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, he said, God said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Man, this is the result because they didn't heed the responsibility that God told them to heed. They did not dress and keep the garden. They did not be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Those responsibilities were not going to go away. <laughs> they misused the responsibility in the garden of don't eat of that fruit. Therefore, their responsibilities that God is going to always have on us, church, became difficult. It became laborious. It became painful. And here we are, 6,000 years later, the ancestors, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, and here we are dealing with those same issues. So, first component is relationship. Second component is responsibility. The third component when I'm reading the book of Genesis that I think we really miss is rest. 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 Can I read to you some verses here? Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 3. Again, we want to get in the scriptures. What does God say about a perfect world? He says, And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made. All right, God put forth the work for six days. On the seventh day He ended it, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And notice what happens next. It's not just this rest, and now He's on the seventh day, but notice what happens next in verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day. And, in case you're just thinking, well, maybe that, maybe that wasn't that important, 
And the Bible goes on to say, and sanctified it. Because that in he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Hear me tonight. Garden living involved rest. God not just rested the seventh day, but he blessed and sanctified it. Do you hear me? He blessed and sanctified it. He made that special. And when he brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, there in the desert, he tells them you are to keep the Sabbath day holy. You are to have rest. You are to work for six days and do all your labor just like our, your Creator did. But you are to take the divine blueprint of the very soul of Adam and Eve from the very beginning of time when the world was perfect and you are to find a day of rest. I want to ask you something tonight, American. I'm going to ask you something tonight, Christian friend. Maybe you're joining us from all over the world. I don't know where you're at. I'm going to ask you tonight some hard questions. When's the last time you rested? I'm not talking about watch the football game. Look, uh, hey, listen, church. I watched the Raiders play last Monday night, right, on Monday night football. That was not restful. <laughs> I mean, that got me jazzed. I, I was so pumped up. You know, we went into overtime. I couldn't go to bed for 30 minutes after I laid down. That was not restful. I'm not talking about going to, the, going to an amusement park and riding roller coasters. That's not restful. You come out of there dizzy, you right? I'm talking about when is the last time you truly rested. Now, I'm not talking about just laying on your couch and doing nothing. When's the last time you took a walk just to enjoy God? When's the last time you sat on your back porch and opened a journal and jotted down some thoughts that God was bringing to your mind and that you wanted to, you wanted to write those down and have a time of prayer and worship before the Lord? When's the last time you just marked off some time and said, you know what, I need some soul care. I, 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 need, I need some soul care. I need to think about myself. When's the last time you took an hour and allowed your body, mind, and spirit to be refueled and refreshed? And that may mean a nap. It might very well be that you need to go lay down. I love what Preacher Patrick said some years ago. I heard him say it. And, and I thought, ah, you know, when he said it, I thought, ah, you know, that's for, that's, you know I, I was a young buck. I thought, I don't need that. He said, sometimes the most holy thing you can do is take a nap. You know what I found out? He was right. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes that's the case. When's the last time that we took some time off work and not ran ourselves ragged on a vacation, but yet we plugged ourselves into God? Man, I'm telling you, I'm convicted. I mean, you're, you're, looking at a, you're looking at a guy very convicted. I, I challenge you today. God, maybe the prayer for us, for us all right now is, Lord, how do you want me to get this thing of rest back in my body, back in my soul, back in my spirit? God, you obviously cared about it. You blessed and sanctified the seventh day. You know what happens when we do rest? When we do go off on vacation, right, and try to chill out and, you know, chillax, right? Do you know what happens? We have the ever-present rectangle, don't we? It's in our pocket, right? It's in our bag. It's dinging and beeping and emails and text messages and phone calls. And guess what? We're not getting rest. 
Can I, can I say this to you? Rest is a biblical idea. It's not, for, it's not, well, rest is for wimps. Rest is for sissies. Rest is for people who aren't strong enough. If that's your mentality, ask God to help you with that. Ask God to forgive you for that mentality and to get your heart back in tune with His. Because you just called God a wimp, you just called God a sissy, and you just said He wasn't strong enough. Because He rested, He blessed the seventh day, and He sanctified it, dear friend. That's God. And then, to go on top of that, He made it abundantly clear to His people throughout the Bible. You are to rest on the seventh day. And man, I'm telling you, we... Listen... Anybody can run around and be busy and be crazy and, and let their life go out of control. Anybody can do that. I had a papaw for many, many years who harped on me about Sabbath living and about rest and about unplugging and about getting present in the room. Right? And By the way, can I just stop right here? Sometimes rest looks like this. Mom, Dad, put your cell phone down and talk to your kids at supper. That's what rest looks like for some of us. Put the cell phone away, turn the TV off, cut the Wi-Fi off, get everybody off our devices, and let's play a board game. Let's interact. Because let's go back to point one. What's the first component? Relationship. What's the second component? Responsibility. And if we do those two well, we get to enjoy the third one. Rest. And it refuels us for our responsibilities. It refuels our relationships. First and foremost with God, but with each other. You ever come home tired and cranky and just backbite your, you know, just bite your kids' heads off and just run around on your wife or your husband? You are pushed to the extreme. You need rest. Metabolically, you're exhausted. Sin has wrecked and ruined us, isn't it? I mean, didn't Solomon tell us about this? I mean, here's a guy who had it all. Didn't he, didn't he speak to us about contentment? Because contentment is the bedrock of rest. Contentment says, hey, I don't have to live in a hurry. <laughs> I'm content with what I have. I don't have to get more. Ecclesiastes 4.6, better is a handful with quietness. Boy, hear this. Ecclesiastes 4.6, but I want to look it up. Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Can I just say to you, as the hands fill up, rest slips away. And the hardest thing you're going to have to say is no. To yourself, to others that you love, no, I can't do that. They don't, I don't have a sufficient time. And you're going to have to prioritize your life Remember what I talked about, relationships and responsibilities. It's going to be some hard decisions. What's really most important? What should really get my focus? What should I be focused on that's eternal in my life that would be kingdom-driven, not self-driven? I love the game of golf, and I'm done with this. I love the game of golf. But you know what? It's very restful, but at the same time, the, the game of golf is a, for me, I like to play in three hours flat. I like to tee off before, right at 7 o'clock sharp at Lane Tree. I like to be done at 10 and on with my day. 
Sometimes I get so geared up on it, though, and I get so geared up on trying to get it done quickly that I lose the enjoyment of golf. And then our sin nature its always at work. Something you really love, something you really enjoy doing, you get yourself so worked up on it, and then you get disappointed if you don't score this score, or catch that big fish, or shoot that deer, or whatever the situation, whatever, whatever you're, or find that special deal at TJ Maxx, ladies, or whatever, or Starbucks is out of your special latte, and you're just tore all to pieces about it. Hey, look, it happens. Let's just be honest with ourselves. And you know what? We lose our rest, don't we? There's also priorities, though, in my life. Golf's not the most important thing God put me here for. First and foremost is Him. Shame on me if I'll get up and rush to the golf course to get there by 7 o'clock and not talk to God. What does that say? Shame on me that I would bypass what's most important for something that's very temporary and has no eternal value. So I'm asking this today. How are we doing with our relationship? What about our responsibility? Number three, what about our rest? See, they make up this triangle. They touch each other. When one's messed up, the other gets messed up, and the other gets messed up, and it becomes this horrible triangle of a very unhealthy Christian. But Jesus has called us to something different. He's called us to rest. What did He say? Come unto Me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And I'm just saying to us today, we've got to get focused back on what did God really want? And where am I at 6,000 years later? How am I doing with that? He wanted relationship. He wanted responsibility handled properly. And he wanted rest to be enjoyed on a regular basis. That's the challenge for us tonight. Are we actually living, garden living? Father, I thank you for speaking to hearts. Thank you for speaking to my heart. I am very, very, very convicted. And God, you have been plowing my soul for many years. I've been very obstinate when it comes to this thing of rest in particular. I have emphasized the works of my flesh for too long. I have done things in my own power for too long and you've taken me personally through a great deal of brokenness, Lord, to get me to this point. And I've got a long ways to go. And I'm praying for those that are listening, some of them, they're, they're, they're tired, they're weary, they're broken, they're hurting. I'm praying, God, you'd minister to them even tonight. You come to us in that state. You sent Jesus. When sin had wrecked and ruined all of humanity, you said in Genesis 3 that He is going to crush the head of the serpent. Oh God, we thank You for Jesus tonight. All the promises of God are yea in Him tonight. And we rest in that. Now help us to walk away from this different, determined, refocused, to enjoy relationship with You and each other, to fulfill our responsibilities, Yes, we've got to work. We've got to do it with diligence and passion. We can't misuse or abuse those responsibilities. And then we've got to find that rest. And that's where we struggle. Because we emphasize, our culture emphasizes do, 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 and do. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for your patience. Help us to 
walk away from this time in the Word different. In Jesus' name, amen.